Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen. Thank you so much for that. You may be seated. I want to welcome everyone here this morning to our church. As I think Pastor Isaac stated, our pastor, senior pastor, Pastor Omar, is away and and uh, he's he's on he's on a break. He's he's we're hoping he's relaxing and he'll be back with us hopefully this week. Uh, but you know what? I'd have the privilege and the honor to preach this morning, and I'm very excited to do that for you all. I've I've been in. I've been in preparation for this sermon for some time, so I hope it comes out good, but uh, I just want to thank the pastoral team and thank Pastor Omar just for everything, for giving me the, and entrusting me with this opportunity to deliver God's message this morning. Um, I'm, I'm just excited, and so I do want to address one thing before we get serious in the house. Um, I, you know, for the past couple of weeks, you may have noticed something's changed about me. It's not my glow or aura or anything like that. But I have to address this because I constantly get the, the thing like, hey, Pastor Rob, you're a, I like the new style. And I'm like, okay, well, there's no new style, but let's address the elephant in the room. I am wearing glasses now. Okay, this is not a vibe. It's not something that I wanted to do. Okay, though I am a little bit excited about it, but it caught me by surprise that I needed glasses. So I got glasses, all right? So this is... This is who I am, I guess, right? Or what is it? This is 40. Okay, I've been growing up. Some of you are like, oh, what the heck? He's wearing glasses. And some of you look at me like, hey. Hey, Pastor Rob. Like, you get all awkward. Like, don't get awkward with me. I'm, the st- I'm still the same person, all right? We're in a sermon series called Walking with God. And it really has to do with the closeness of God. Basically, the proximity, how close are you walking with God? How close are you, you know, walking with Him? And, and, and I think I got to preach a message already on this series, and, and I had Pastor Isaac come up, uh, and he helped me with the illustration of walking together, right? Walking, how we're supposed to walk together. But one thing that we're, we have to realize is we don't need to walk to lead. We need to, we need to walk with Jesus. We need to follow Him. I want to make that very clear. So when we're talking about being in proximity or close to him, it's not him going back to you to grab you. It's you kind of catching up and saying, I'm going to walk with you now, Lord. You, you, you go in that direction, and I'm just going to follow your direction. Amen? And so we have this scene where we talk about walking in the Spirit. In the New Testament, it introduces that we need to not just walk with Jesus, but that we need to walk in the Spirit. We need, in other words, we need to activate something inside of us to where it's not our own intuition anymore that is leading us in a direction that God wants us to be, but rather it's the Holy Spirit that is pushing us forward, that is leading us, that is taking care of all of our problems, and we're putting all our trust in Him through this process. That is walking in the Spirit. But what happens when we walk in the Spirit and we're faced with a hardship? A loved one gets sick. A relationship goes sour. Our relationship with our family is hurting. Maybe financially you're in a hardship. You don't have money to pay bills. At this point, it becomes a pressure cooker in your life, right? Where all of a sudden, you're in a battle. 
You've heard about the battles. You've heard about the hardships because God and his word never tells us that we won't have them. As a matter of fact, when some of us became Christians, more hardships followed. It severed relationships. But when we're in a hardship, like a true hardship, and there's a moment of desperation, then you start to realize where your walk is. You start to realize, and it starts to manifest if you really are walking in the spirit. And I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you that in every hardship that I've had in my life, that I've handled it perfectly. But if we've been in that pressure cooker of hardship, it really measures where you're at. Sometimes we're in a sticky situation and, I, um, and, I, and, and we don't rely on God. We'd rather try to rely on other things. We don't talk to God about it. That means you're far in proximity of, with Jesus. You're not near him at all. And so this morning, I wanna to talk to you about walking with Jesus during your pain and your problems. Amen. Let's pray. If you would just bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to, to preach your word, to read your scriptures this morning. Father, I ask that it wouldn't be my words that begin to change lives, Lord, but it'd be that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak and manifest itself in each person here this morning. Father, we dedicate this time to you and we ask for transformation in our lives this morning, that your word would bring about revelation and understanding and illuminate us, Father, to understand that we live in a dark world and you're here to light it up. And we just thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Daisy. Let's give Daisy a hand clap. So how you respond in pain and, and, and problems is it's really gonna dictate you know, how your walk is doing. It's hard to kind of measure where your relationship is with Christ when there isn't a hardship. And I've, I've, gone, through, um, I've gone through life not having a hardship for years and years and years. And, and it's easy to lift your hands. It's easy to pray. It's easy to worship, right? But then when there's something like heavy that happens and now you're in a storm, it's harder to lift your hands. It's harder to pray. It's harder to worship. I don't want to come to church, you know, and, and, and it, it becomes difficult. You know, I'm going to tell you this quick story. I was at, uh, I, I was at college, and um, me and a buddy that I met in class, you know, we developed a relationship. I'm, I, I, we'll call him Alex. Alex was like 6'5", a huge guy from Missouri, and so... Um, I, we became good friends, and, and this is at Biola, uh, Biola University graduate, a fellow Eagle, amen, that's my, I gotta give, hey, I'm proud of my education, so we're, 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 we're in class, I said, hey, what are you doing for lunch, let's go, let's go to the cafe, and we just opened up this brand new cafe, renovated, beautiful, and it's like buffet style, they got everything, they got pizza, they got salad, it's an amazing time, so we stand in line, we pay at the front, and then we go, we bring our trades, we get our trades, we go to different stations, we're putting pizza, we're putting a salad on it, right, we're, we're putting soup, we got, we got sandwiches, we're loading, we're loading it up, right, because it's buffet style, so we're loading it up, and so my buddy from Missouri, Alex, you know, we're walking around like, hey, you want that? Yeah. And, you know, we're just kind of waiting for each other because we're friends, you know? And, uh, and again, all of a sudden, you know, I feel the ground start to shake a little bit. And, and, and I'm like, oh, shoot, is that, that's an earthquake. And if you didn't know, I grew up in California. I'm used to this. 
Okay, I've, I've gone through some heavy earthquakes in my life. All right, I, 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 I'm from up north. I went through the one in Oakland and San Francisco, right? It's probably one of the, I still have PTSD to this day a little bit from that one. I think I was like an 8.5 or something like that. It was ridiculous. As a, as a child, I went through that. So it starts to shake. The ground starts to shake a little bit. We're holding our trays, right? And so I'm, I'm looking and I start to hear a stirring in the cafe of fear and, and just like I heard a scream. And then I see Alex. He picks up his tray. He's got it and he's looking around and he's freaking out and he throws the tray on the floor. He throws the tray on the floor. The plates are flying everywhere. There's debris everywhere. And, and, and we're talking, there's like shrapnel flying. It was, it was crazy. But there's people at this school because, you know, we're in college and there's people that live on campus and they're from out of state. They've never experienced an earthquake. So they don't know how to act when there's an earthquake. So this tremor turns out to be like a 4.5. Honestly, <laughs> California, we sleep through that. Right? That's nothing. If there, if there isn't a 4.5, something's wrong. Right? <laughs> we haven't had one in a while. What's going on? You know, but if there isn't a 4.5, you know, it, it was like a 4.5 and people are freaking out. People are screaming. The cafe was in disarray. There's debris everywhere. So I saw people get up off the, in the cafeteria onto the table, jump, leap, jump out of the cafe, out through the window. It was absolutely insane. Now, let me tell you what I did. I held on to my tray and I just stood there. I just looked around to make sure the ceiling wasn't going to fall. You know, I did those things, like looking at the threshold, right? Because you're taught that, go in the threshold. If you didn't know that, congratulations, you learned something today. You go to the threshold. So I'm just like, you know, just looking around. Now my heart, you know, it maybe pumped a couple extra beats during that time. I'm not going to lie, right? A little tremor gets us a little worried every now and then. You guys ever have a, you guys ever like, you're in a building and somebody's walking on the floor and the floor shakes a little bit. You're like, is that? <laughs> right? For, for just a moment, you're like, do I need a duck and cover? Right? So anyways, we're, you know, he reacted crazy. Like, and this guy's 6'4", big burly guy, you know, and, and he just, he got so scared. So I started laughing at him. You know, and I'm picking up his tray and, and just trying to clean up. I mean, it was, but you know, I, it's those moments, right, where you don't have control that are most fearful in your life. And, 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 and God is going to, we're going to live this life and we're going to think that God has caused all this pain and problem when that's not really what's taking place. And I'm going to get a little theological today in some areas. I'm going to ask that you bear with me. For those of you that don't like theology, just bear with me uh, because I'm going somewhere with it. But I just know that I wasn't scared because I had already experienced uh, an earthquake. I've been through them growing up in California. So I, w I still knew I was in control. It wasn't me being you know, spiritual at that moment by any means. It wasn't that. It's just I had already known 
that this is kind of how it goes down. This is what happens during an earthquake. And so, but what, I'm here to ask you, how are you in those moments where you don't have control and you realize that maybe death is taking its course in a circumstance in your life? You maybe have gotten some bad news or a bad report from a doctor or something and, and all of a sudden, you know, your life's about to change a little bit or you may lose a loved one that's very close to you, your husband, your father, your mother. Those things are very impacting and how you act in those moments are gonna tell you what your relationship with God is really like. Maybe you've prayed and you said, God, we need a miracle, but nothing's taking place. I've prayed time and time again at this church for people that are going through hardships. Right here on this stage, we say a prayer, God, heal their family. God, don't let them lose their loved one. And, and, God, and you know what? They end up passing away and something heavy takes place. And I've used all my energy in this prayer, but yet it's not me. It's God that is in control. I can pray as loud as I want. I could scream. I can, I can call down angels from heaven. But if it's not God's will, nothing's going to change. There's a moment in scripture that I love, and it's, it's, it's a powerful moment. Um, I'll give you some context. And if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11, because we're going to be really camping out in this chapter today. We're not going to really leave it much. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 11. You can follow along with me. I'll be reading uh, out of the CSB version. Uh, But there's a moment in Scripture where Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, Lazarus becomes very ill. He becomes sick. And the Bible says that he's, he's kind of on his deathbed. So his sister Mary and Martha say, hey, we need to let Jesus know that his best friend, because they had a relationship that his best friend is sick and and he needs to come right away. He needs to come so he can receive his healing. And so Mary and Martha are are kind of scrambling and the Bible says that that she sends a note. Now I want to kind of just kind of plan out, uh, map out what's happening here. Jesus is in Jerusalem at this time. He's performing miracles. He's in his ministry. And he's beginning to, uh, to minister and tell people about who he is. He's already laid the groundwork that he has come to save the world. He has, he's, he's the teacher. He's, God has sent him. He's already referred to the Trinity. He's already referred to God as the Father and, and how he's come as an example. Jesus has taught all these things. And so the Pharisees were already upset with Jesus, and and Jesus has already explained who he was and who his purpose is, and this upset the Pharisees or the Jews in the area that, you know, hey, he's, he's acting like he's God. And so Mary and Martha are two miles away, all right? That's an average of about 30 to 45 minute walk, okay, depending how fast you walk. So they're just two miles away, but they send word that Lazarus is ill, and we're going to pick it up. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now let's stop there. So Jesus gets word 
that Lazarus is sick. And so the Bible says that he decides to stay there two more days. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty upset with Jesus. I'd be like, Jesus, I told you that there's an emergency, but yet you're still not listening. You're still not hearing how important this is that you get here immediately. Lazarus is ill. He is sick. But Jesus stays there for two more days. You guys ever send a text message to somebody and it was an important text message and they didn't text back? You're all laughing because you've been ghosted. You've been ghosted. It tells you a lot about the relationship. Maybe the individual didn't want to deal with you in those moments. Or maybe they were just busy, right? Those are the two things. But we think the worst. Well, they don't like me anymore. They didn't text me back. They don't care, right? I used to get upset when people would ghost me. I'd be like, what the heck? But I wouldn't say heck. I'd say another word. And so I'd be like, what? whatever, man. When you need something, I text right away, but you don't text me back, right? We do those things, but again, it tells you a lot about that relationship, but this relationship, the Bible made very clear that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved him. The Bible's clear in several verses that he looked at Lazarus as a brother. He loved him very much. He had a relationship with the family, with Martha and Mary. We see several instances of this in scripture in the New Testament, but for some reason, Jesus didn't text back. You guys ever say a prayer to Jesus and you don't hear anything? Oh, okay, nobody in here. It's just me. All right, you guys got it. I'm going to preach to myself this morning. But Jesus kind of left Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He left them unread. Though he loved all of them, he didn't respond in, the, in a, like an efficient manner. Right? Because he understands that there's something greater at work. Amen? See, and this is, if you're taking notes, I'm going to bring out some points. This is the first point. And if you want to write this down, is that Jesus is unique in his timing. Okay? Jesus is unique in his timing. It's not that his timing is bad. It's just unique. I want to make that very clear. His timing isn't terrible. It's just unique. Okay? It's a unique timing. Right? It's surprising that he doesn't go to Lazarus right away. And it's probably even a little bit disturbing. Right? It's like a physician who had scheduled a, uh, um, an operation and he's running late. Right? And, and, this, and time is at hand. Time is important. But Jesus' timing is unique. His friend is sick and he seems to be in no rush. He doesn't have any worry. So by the time he gets to Lazarus, check this out because we're going to skip some verses. But as, 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 as he gets to Lazarus, it's been four days, the Bible says. Four days. So yeah, he waited two more days, but it takes a day. And then, but, I, but I'm thinking when I started to do the math and the geography, they were only two miles away in Bethany. I already told you that it's a 30 to 45 minute walk. You guys ever like walk somewhere, but then like you're stopping off? Or you ever been on a road trip and then everybody wants to take a break? That's my frustration. Why are we taking a break? We're not at our destination yet. I picture Jesus doing that. So the Bible says he's in Judea, or yeah, he waits, I'm sorry, he's in Jerusalem, he waits two days. And then he takes, you know, like another day. He takes another day to walk two miles. I don't know if that's true, but I'm doing the math and I'm just kind of like, what the heck, man? So he must have been like this, like, no care in the world. Now, mind you, Mary and Martha are in turmoil. 
They're in distress. They're like, what the heck's going on? Like, we need Jesus here now. They're probably in anticipation, like looking out, you know, the window, trying to see, like, is he here yet? When is he going to be here? Lazarus is dying. He needs to get here right away. What the heck? Doesn't he even care about us? Did he get the message? Come on. He's got to get here. Doesn't he care? And that's what it looks like when we pray to Jesus and we pray to God. Doesn't he care? Does he have any care how I'm feeling? Does he have any care how impatient I am? You're laughing because that's really what we're saying to him. He's unique in his timing, but he's also silent sometimes. He's silent. Like, God, why aren't you saying anything? See, I understand we hear radio silence from God, but it's only silent because you're not feeling him. See, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a hardship or I need, I need to hear from God, I, I, I'm not asking sometimes, I'm, I'm not asking, let me just hear your voice. Sometimes I just ask, God, let me feel your presence. That alone, that alone right there, let me just feel your presence to know that you understand the circumstance that I'm going through. I just want to feel your presence. I don't need an answer. I don't need you to solve the problem. Let me just feel your presence to know that you're here. But we get upset. We said, I haven't heard from God. Well, are you trying to hear from him or are you trying to feel him? Have you set an atmosphere where you can feel him? I've been in times of distress in my own life where I've said, I didn't hear from God, but I definitely felt his presence and I feel much better now that I've set this atmosphere with him. Church, when you're going through distress, there's nothing more that God wants than for you to lean onto him. How much more should you set a time aside to be in his presence. I'm not saying Mary and Martha did that. The Bible doesn't really make that clear. They didn't, it's not some heroic story where they begin to fast and Jesus showed up. No, no, Mary and Martha are going through a tough time. They're probably pacing back and forth and they're probably in disarray trying to wonder, are we gonna lose our brother? So for the sake of time, let's go into John, or, or, or let me read this to you. Let me read this to you. Check this out. I'm not gonna skip this part. I like this part. When we don't listen to God, sometimes we walk away to God, walk away from him. When we don't hear from him, we, don't, we walk away from him. Again, we're not chasing an answer sometimes. We just need to chase his presence. Check this out in John 8, verse 42. It says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. When we say we don't hear from him, it's because you haven't even leaned to feel him. You haven't leaned into his presence. You're looking for something audible. You want him to send you a sign. You don't want to be on your knees praying and say, God, let me just feel your presence. See, church, I'm here to tell you, if you can't hear God, you're not walking close enough to him. 
And then when you're in pain and you're in discomfort, you're still not getting close to him. You want an answer. You don't want his presence. Then you're going to default to something else in life. You're going to default to two sources that God does not want you to default to. You're going to default to the world and what the world has to say, or you're going to default to Satan. That's what Jesus said. That's not what I said. I just put my own words on it. That's what Jesus said. You're going to listen to the father of lies or you're going to listen to truth. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, I started to learn that God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. That means he knows everything. He is everywhere and he is all powerful. How much more should I be in close proximity to somebody like that? In times of pain and distress, we need Jesus. But the great thing about Jesus, and we talk about this a lot in our church, is that Jesus offers a greater life. That's the second point, today's sermon. That Jesus offers a greater life. We've talked about how Jesus offers a better life. But greater is a different word. And I want to explain this to you. It's expansive. Not expensive, expansive. That's not my Latino accent. It's expansive, all right? It's huge, it's greater. Now what does that mean, right? It means God has capacity. I love this, I love the word capacity. In my old age, okay, thank you for laughing. That wasn't a joke, but thank you for laughing. In my old age, I've learned that my capacity has changed. Those of you that are younger, just pay attention, okay? I have the capacity to take on more. I have the capacity to learn more. I have the capacity to do different things in my life that I never thought I'd do ever. I've gotten smarter, I've gotten wiser, I felt those things. However, I can no longer say it is just me, it's Jesus and it's God that has blessed me with that. He has blessed me with capacity. See, when you turn your life over to Jesus and you begin to walk closer to him, you gain capacity. You understand. You look at the world differently. You have, you've increased in wisdom. His walk, he, you know, it brings so much. You're tougher. You're happier. You're patient. You're favored. You're blessed. You're complete. You're saved. You're maturing. You're progressing in life. This is what Jesus does. When you start to follow him, you start to see all those virtues that you never thought you'd ever have. He brings capacity in, his, in your life. It's greater. He offers a greater life. He increases your capacity. You can handle more hardship. You can handle somebody insulting you. You're not easily as offended because the Bible says that. I know you don't like it, guys. But you're not supposed to be easily offended. You know, there's one time somebody was offended by me. I said, you're not supposed to be offended by me. <laughs> Number one, I'm your pastor. Okay? Number two, don't be easily offended. You need to be tough. I love what Pastor Omar said. It's kind of stuck with me, man. We need to make allowances for each other. We're going we're gonna to mess up. Like, why are you holding that against me? Do you think I'm malicious? Do you? No, don't answer that. Your life begins to change in every aspect. Things that you didn't even ask for, God begins to change your life when you start to follow him. You don't even realize it. You look in the mirror one day, you say, what have I become? God, you're doing a work. 
See, I love, I love Jesus because I, I feel like him not, Jesus in this, in this story, he's just like not caring. At least it looks like that on the outside, you know, but he's walking real tall and tough. He's not concerned. He's not going to let worry dictate the outcome. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's not going to let worry, he's not going to let other people's stress, aggravations, distress, he's not going to let, he's not even going to let them dictate the outcome. You know, and in John chapter 11, verse 8 through 11, let's read along, let's continue on here. It says, the disciples replied, Rabbi, the Jewish opposition wants to stone you, but you want to go back to Jerusalem? Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours in the day? Whoever walks in the day doesn't stumble because they see the light of the world. But whoever walks in the night does stumble because the light isn't in them. And he continued, our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I'm going to go order to wake him up. See, I want to tell you something, that walking without Jesus is like walking in the dark. It's being surrounded by sin. If I can have the production team turn off the lights. It's going to get dark in here. Don't get nervous, all right? Don't walk. Don't, don't turn around. Don't do anything right now. Just stay in the room. Now, for some of you, you could see me just a little bit. Just a little bit, you could see me. But let me tell you something. This is what it's like when you don't invite Jesus into your hardship. If I asked you right now to pull something out of your bag, it's going to be difficult. If I asked you right now, I want you to build this Lego set that I got you. Right now, it's going to be very, very difficult to do that, is it not? Right? So when we do this, we have to understand that when we're in a hardship, when we're in, when we're in going through a tough time, this is how it feels. Now, darkness is interesting, church, because it brings a little, just a little bit of fear inside of you. Okay, I'm not the toughest guy in the world, but even when it gets dark and I'm alone, how do you feel? You feel nervous. You actually feel like you have no control. You feel like, you know, I'm in darkness. I don't feel safe. Some of you are not feeling safe right now. Let's admit that. This is how it is when you don't walk with Jesus. When you don't walk with him, you're not, it, you know, you're not concerned about the thing. See, you ever walk into a room and just feel uneasy and it's a dark presence? This is what it's like. Now, let me tell you something. When you're, when you're here and, the, and there's no service and you come in here alone, this is like one of the scariest places I've ever been in my life. <laughs> is in this darkness here. You hear the creaks. You hear the cracks. You're starting to get scared. And I literally, a couple times, I'm going to admit, I've gone through that door where the usher is standing and ran to the pastor's office. Because I don't like the way it felt in here. Let me tell you something. Some of us are still walking in this darkness. You're living in a dark place. You've grown comfortable there. However, it's given you a limited view, not a greater view. See, because walking with Jesus is greater, but it's given you a limited view. Your viewing angles right now are limited. Therefore, you lack the greater view. Some of us in times of pain and hardship are trying to get through it without walking with Jesus. We're saying, where are you, God? And we stay in it looking for a resolution. You're not going to find answers and resolution without any light in your life. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn back on the lights. It's a greater life. Now you could see your view is expanded. Your capacity has grown. This is why Jesus says he's the light of the world. He lights it up. Now Jesus is about to shed some light in this circumstance about Lazarus' death. 
John 11, let's continue to read. Verse 17, it says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. While Mary remained in the house, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's a tough word. Sorry. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Not now, she's thinking on the last day. She's thinking the resurrection at the end of this world in Revelation. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, God's son, the one who is coming into the world. Jesus brings that capacity, church. He brings a better view. He lights up the path. While Martha was relying on her worldviews in this moment, see, she was stuck here on this planet. Our God is not from here. He created this planet. All right, he's greater than that. We are, he is infinite and we are finite. I've said that before. In other words, he is the alpha and the omega. He is all powerful. But she thinks that death had its way. She thinks her brother is no longer going to live. I don't know about you, but I don't know any other document that says that somebody rose from the dead. Not once, but twice. I'm talking about Lazarus and now Jesus. See, she knew what he was capable of on this earth, but she failed to recognize the eternal control that Jesus provides. It's the limited view. It's your worldview. It's limited Now, I'm not here to bag on Martha and Mary because I've been there. I've been in distress, and so have you. I'm sure most of you have. But sometimes we allow our worldview to limit what God wants to do. I love what he says. Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. Do you believe this, Martha? In other words, she has to say it orally. She has to say it. She has to speak it out, speak it into existence that her faith is there. The third point I want to bring you to is Jesus reveals his heart. Now, I love Jesus, but I also love that he reveals his heart. In John chapter 11, verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, he healed, with, he healed the eyes of the man born blind, but he couldn't have kept Lazarus from dying? So they begin to doubt. See, this is what I love, though, is that Jesus starts to cry, but he's not crying because he thinks Lazarus is dead. He knows Lazarus, that he has a power, and that Lazarus is going to live again. But he begins to cry in this moment. And those of you that know, this is the verse that Jesus wept in other translations. Now you, there you go, you memorized the verse this morning, right? It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Or I think it is the shortest. But Jesus weeps. It's the humanity of Jesus comes alive. There's a human element to all of us, but we must forget that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. That's known as a hypostatic union in theology. But here we see Jesus being all human, weeping and crying, and it wasn't because of the outcome. It wasn't because of what's going to take place. Rather, he's showing empathy in this moment. See, Jesus' heart breaks, his heart breaks when your heart breaks. 
When you come to him in pain, he weeps with you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just, going through a hard time, sometimes we need someone just to hold us, hug us, weep with us, that they understand. See, Jesus understands. But he didn't answer the prayer right away. He didn't come immediately. So why not? Why is he allowing this suffering? Why is he allowing the suffering to take place? There's a theological case for suffering in life, in scripture. I'm gonna go through three extra points here. Number one, suffering is a byproduct of sin on this earth. Now listen to me. It's a byproduct. Okay, when this earth was, was created, God gave it to us with dominion. Our job was to protect this earth and it was, to, it, was, it, it, it was to give us dominion, to rule over the, you know, the fish, the air, everything of the sea. And we, we know that from Genesis, right? But what ends up taking place is we allowed disobedience to take place. And then sin, thus sin entered the world. And now we have a fractured life. And because of that, because of that, suffering takes place. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this, okay? And some people believe this, and I don't believe this at all. Just being transparent. Well, that brother's going through that because, you know, his early lifestyle was pretty rough. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying because you did something years ago or you did some act of disobedience that all of a sudden you get a bad report and you have cancer. That's not the God we serve. That's, not, that's a false lie. The reason why there's sin on this earth, I'm gonna be very clear about this, okay? And some, some the, theologians in here aren't gonna like it. We have free will. That means I can hurt you. I could choose to punch you in the face if I wanted to today. That's gonna hurt you. Well, maybe not. I don't swing that hard anymore. <laughs> but listen, there's free will. I can go do something stupid and get somebody killed. And it could be a complete accident. But I... The free will I had made me do that. And now somebody else is going through suffering because of that. A whole family is now affected. There's free will in this earth. The second thing God does with suffering is he reverses suffering by suffering in our place. This is called the atonement. So God eradicates sin. He gives an answer to it. It wasn't that sin just entered the world and he allowed it. He gave an answer to it. And he died on the cross for that. This is called the substitutionary theory. This is a very known theological theory that God came as a substitute for our problems. He was tried. He was punished, even though he was innocent. An innocent man was punished, put on a cross. See, let me tell you something about sin. Sin alienates us from God. It alienates us from God. It makes us foreign to him. Those who are controlled by sin cannot please God. Jesus Christ's death made peace with God possible. So thank God he died for our sins and gave us an answer. The second thing, God is holy. God's holy character requires that, requires that sin be punished. It's like oil and water. It cannot mix. God's presence requires that sin not be present in your life. The third thing is the presence of sin renders us helpless. In other words, we cannot help ourselves through the sin. We need Jesus to help us with the sin. That is the only thing that can free you from sin. Do you understand this? 
You need to ask him for forgiveness. You telling mom and dad is not enough. This is why we say we need you to confess. This is where healing begins, by canceling our sin, debt, and then reconciling us to God. The third thing, and you're not gonna like this, but God now uses our suffering for redemption, for his glory, and for our good. For his glory, but for our good. In this moment, he's gonna show the suffering. But maybe it's for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, maybe it's for their good. Maybe it's for the community that they see this. Maybe it's for us that we read it, that he raises his friend from the dead. Let's continue. Let me read some verses to you that'll make you feel better because I know you're probably sitting there upset with me right now. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things, even the worst things, he works out for his good, amen? Ephesians chapter one, verse 11, it says, in him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the, uh, would be to the praise of his glory. So no matter what we choose, it doesn't derail God's plan and purpose for, his world, for this world. He cannot be stopped. Just because you have free will doesn't mean God's plan is affected by that. He's still in control, amen? I have to skip a lot. I apologize, church. Verse, the fourth point I want to give to you this morning is Jesus displays a power that transforms everything. It's not a power that just transforms us, but it's rather a power that transforms everything. This miracle begins everything. In John chapter 11, verse 38, it says, Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead for four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied, and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. If I can have the production team put that picture up. This is a picture of the moment that we just read together this morning. This is by an, a French artist. I'm going to try to pronounce his name as John Jouvenet. I think I pronounced it very well. I did not practice that. I don't know where that came from. The Lord's speaking in tongues this morning. I want to explain this picture to you for just a moment. The Bible's very clear that Jesus did this amongst a crowd from what I just read to you. This wasn't a miracle that was done in secret. Rather, it was done in front of the whole community. Okay, you could see who Jesus is. If you can't, God bless you. It's the same ring you see around my head is on his. 
I want you to look at this. I want you to look at the expression. I know some of you are sitting far away, but look at the expressions on some of their faces. You'll notice that there's some expressions that are um, in shock. There's some expressions that are celebratory, like this gentleman here. There's other expressions that are trying to analyze it right here. If you could take note of that, you'll see that there's an authority on their head. Probably the Pharisees is my best guess. You could see people are actually afraid. There's a sense of fear of leaning back. Here, the power, we could see that this was done in a place in front of the, outside the city. You could see it's done outside the gates. That means in front of everybody. You could see Lazarus down here coming out, being unwoven by the people around. This moment was a heavy moment that took place in humanity. And it sparked something very big. This, at this moment, this affected the world. This flipped the switch for the atonement to come. This is God telling me, or telling us in scripture, don't ever doubt me because I will even defeat death. And I won't do it just for my son. I'll do it for you. In John chapter 11, verse 47, I want to read this. I'm running out of time, but I want to read this to you. Check out what started to take place here. Then the chief priests and Pharisees called together the council and said, what are we going to do? This man is doing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our people. One of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, told them, you don't know anything. You don't see that it is better for you that one man die for the people rather than the whole nation be destroyed? He didn't say this on his own. As high priests, as the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would soon die for the nation. And not only for the nation, Jesus would also die so that God's children scattered everywhere would be gathered together as one. And from that day on, they plotted to kill Jesus. This is the miracle that made everyone upset. I want you to think about this. Jesus saved somebody's life and they're upset by it. As a matter of fact, even the the Jewish people, the Pharisees themselves said, you know what? We need to go get Jesus, man. The Romans are going to get upset with us. They were worried about the world rather than worried about eternity. They're like, the Romans are going to be upset. They're going to close down our churches. They're going to close down our synagogues. They're going to mess us up. They're not going to allow us to minister. They're not going to allow us to live. You know what? We need to find Jesus and kill him. At this moment, the gate is now open for the atonement to take place. They're that upset with him. They failed to see the miraculous sign and the wonder of their father. And all they were worried about was the Roman Empire getting upset with them and them losing their authority. Some of you in here, you don't want to serve God because you're hiding something. You don't want to serve God because something else is ruling your life and you're okay with it. This is exactly how the Pharisees acted. If I can have every head bowed and every eye closed. 
Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.